servant puts character over comfort. Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. This is, this is still like a very hot topic in the world right now. And let me just try to take two hours worth of messages and sum it up in five minutes. Basically, in brief... There's a guy named Abraham that God called 4,000 years ago. Abraham had two sons, uh, the son of shortcut, which is Ishmael, and then the the son of promise, which was Isaac. And uh, Ishmael, the descendants of Ishmael are the Arab and the Palestinian people. The descendants of Isaac are the Jewish people. And and, uh, and what we have is the Palestinian and Arab peoples have been influenced by by demonic powers to wage war against the descendants of Isaac. This war is over the Abrahamic covenant, which promises the land to the Jewish people. It promises a blessed lineage, and through in that land and through that lineage would come the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so the church's stance ought to be to support and pray for and stand with Israel, not because the political nation of Israel is perfect and does everything right. They don't. In some ways, they're a very secular nation, much like much of our nation is very secular. However, we support Israel because the scriptures command us to, and Paul explains this in Romans chapter 11, that the Jewish people, the Israel, where they were God's chosen people, But because they rejected as a whole, they've rejected Jesus as Messiah, they're like a branch on the tree that has been broken off. And the church is a tree that has been grafted onto Jesus, who is the tree of life. And that you and I, the, the, the global church, is to live in such a way that it provokes Israel to jealousy and that they will be grafted back onto the tree of life. Amen? And so that's, that's the hope. That's, the, that, that's what we pray for. So we should pray for Israel to be protected. We should pray that the veil would be removed from their eyes, that they would repent and call upon Jesus as their Messiah. Now listen, when Hamas attacked and killed 1,200 innocent civilians on October 7th, and they kidnapped another 200 people on that day, they triggered Israel and drew them in to declaring war on them, like officially, which Israel is absolutely justified in doing so. Absolutely. Uh, We look at Hamas, they fight dirty. They fight dirty on the battlefield. They use their own people as human shields. They're committing the worst atrocities in the name of Islamic Jihad, which, which they call is good. They say anything goes and it's good. And their end goal is to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Their end goal is to wipe Christianity off the face of the earth. And their end goal is to rule the world. It is not a religion of proposition. It is a religion of imposition. You convert or you die. That's, that's, that's Islam. So Israel, what they do is, is they go out of their way 
to not target civilians, but not only does Hamas play dirty on the battlefield, they also play dirty in the global field of public opinion, lying to the world about how they are the victim and how Israel is the oppressor. And guys, I have been seeing this. I've been hearing it in conversation. I've been seeing it uh, in commentary on the news. I've been seeing it all over social media. People are completely deceived. They've been lied to, and they think that Hamas is the victim and that Israel is the oppressor. And, uh, and we've seen this play out in worldwide protests. We've seen it here even in our own nation. I just watched a video of last night of some young girls on the streets of New York who uh, were tearing down posters of the people who had been kidnapped, Israelis who had been kidnapped, Israeli civilians who had been kidnapped. And so the people in the street were confronting them about that. And this is the words out of their mouth. The Hamas is the victim and Israel is the oppressor. And this is the strategy that Islam has taken now for 20 years. I was reading a book yesterday. Um, It was written in 2011. And it was just laying everything out step by step, just exactly the way it's playing out right now. It's remarkable. And so we've seen this in these protests. We've seen it in the court of public opinion globally where people are saying that Hamas is justified in their killings, in their kidnappings, and their rapings because Israel has committed genocide against the Palestinians. However, the true sign of genocide is that there is a specific population that is in decline because they are specifically being targeted for extermination. Let me give you an example. In 1939, there were 18 million Jews in the world. In 1945, there were 12 million Jews in the world. That is genocide. In 2003, just 20 years ago, there were 1 million Palestinians living in Gaza. 20 years later, this year, there's 2.3 million Palestinians living in Gaza. That is not genocide. So we cannot allow the woke joke folk to redefine a word to fit a narrative, a demonic narrative. So when you hear pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic protests, whether you see it on the streets, whether you see it on the news, whether you see it on your social media feed, just know that these are demonic war cries that originate from the pit of hell in order to steal the land, kill the lineage, and oppose the Lord. But JD, aren't we supposed to pray for our enemies? Of course. Shouldn't we pray for Hamas and the Palestinians? Yes. Number one, we should pray that every act of terror and war would be thwarted in the name of Jesus, would be unsuccessful. Number two, we pray that the blinders that are on their eyes would be removed, that they would repent, that they would break allegiance with every uh, demonic alliance that they have made, and that they would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. And that for any innocent, innocence, Palestinians that they would be protected and that they would call upon Jesus and Jesus see Jesus as their only hope. Amen? Amen? We should pray. The question a lot of people have right now is, is this the end of the world as we know it? Michael Stipe said it a long time ago, you know, still 
playing that song all these years. It sure seems like it's headed in that direction. But throughout church history, for the last 2,000 years, there have been legitimate times where the church has wondered, is this the end? Could this be the end? Is Jesus about to return? Probably the most recent, possibly, is maybe in the 1930s and 40s, 100 years ago, nearly, almost, where people are going, is this the end times? Could Jesus return? As global world war is happening. So, Here's the deal. We are certainly closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ than the believers of yesterday. Even when we opened our Bibles last week to 1 Thessalonians, Paul and Silas and Timothy, who writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, they were answering those questions for the people like, is this the end times? Even 2,000 years ago, people have been wondering, are these the last days? Are they the end times? They are. We've been living in them for 2,000 years now. So here's the deal. The bottom line is that when it comes to the end times, when it comes to the last days, the Christian's job is to be on the welcoming committee, not the planning committee. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But being on the welcome committee of saying, Lord Jesus, come, come quickly. We don't know the day nor the hour, but we are ready to welcome you when you do come. It means you have to fight against letting your heart grow cold. It means you have to fight the temptation of giving your attention and your affections to the cares of this life. It means you have to fight against nominalism. You have to fight against apathy. You have to fight against complacency and lukewarmness. You have to fight against those things that are coming against your passion for Jesus and his kingdom. Fighting against that that thing in your heart that says, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Don't allow the sense of urgency in the way of living out and propelling the gospel forward to fade and wane in your heart. It's important. Keep it those fires burning hot. Keep the fire of, of the second coming of Jesus burning hot in your heart. The king is, he's coming. He's coming soon. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready? And if you're not ready, you can be today. Romans chapter 10, 13 says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's good news. That doesn't mean you just pray a prayer and get your fire insurance. What that means is is that you take up your cross and you follow him. You join the team and you train and you show up to practices and we get in the game and we play together and we win. Praise God. Praise God. God. We win. (laughs) All right, that's the sermon before the sermon. Seriously, if you haven't heard those previous two messages, uh, I would highly encourage you to listen to them. That was just a very, like, that's very brief overview. Go find the links. Also, you can find them at seedschurchtn.com slash messages. All right, a few weeks ago, we started this series about being shaped to serve in the image of Christ. Jesus came not to be served, but he came to serve and 
As Christians, we are little Christ. We are Christ-like. We are his disciples. That means that he is the master and that we are the, the students and the pupils and not in, in a, like, you know, 21st century Western way, but, and you think about, like, first century Jewish world, like, a master wasn't just a teacher. He was like everything. And so you did everything that the master did. You did it the way that he did it, and you, do it, you did it when he did it. That's what it means to be a disciple, to learn the way of the master and to replicate the master, to be the, the, like the carbon copy of him. And so that's what we're aiming for, being shaped to serve into the image of Christ because Jesus came to not be served but to serve. So that's what we want to be. And so we talked about how we relate to the Lord affects the way that we serve. It affects the way that we serve the Lord and affects the way that we serve others. We talked about the differences of mentality between like the orphan mentality and the servant mentality or slave mentality and the son mentality. And we talked about how one of our stated core values here at Siege Church is, is that we serve purposely. We have five core values here that we've boiled things down to. And one of them is, is that we serve purpose, purposely. That means that when we serve, we're doing it, well, that's just because it's what we're supposed to do. No, we, we're doing it because we are purposely, intentionally connecting to the Lord when we serve. We're doing it as unto him. We, we're, we're expecting that when we serve, that we're pleasing the Lord and that there is a reward. There is a reward for serving the Lord. We're also serving purposely in the sense that we're, we're connecting with God, but we're also connecting with those who we're serving. We're connecting with them, and we're connecting with those whom we are serving with, too. And then the other part of the purpose of serving purposely is, is that we would pray that through our serving people, through our loving people, that we would connect them to the Lord. Amen? So in, in John chapter three, 13, excuse me, is where we're going to pick up today. We're going to read about this example that Jesus set for us in serving. And to just paint you the picture here, this is Jesus and the disciples uh, celebrating and observing the Last Supper. This is what we call the Last Supper. They didn't call it that. They called it the Passover meal. Uh, we now, if you look in your Bible, there's a little heading, the Last Supper. Why? Because this is the last moment that Jesus spent with his disciples before he went to Gethsemane and then was arrested and then went to the cross and died and then, praise God, was resurrected. This is the Last Supper. So these are important moments for Jesus. If you knew that you were about to die, if you were about to be arrested and you were about to go through this torturous death and you had these last moments to spend with your 12 disciples, how would you use this time? How would you use this time to encourage them, knowing what lays ahead of you, knowing what they're about to see? They don't know what they're about to see, but you know what you're about to see. You would spend it very wisely and intentionally, and everything that you said out of your mouth would not be a wasted word. And so what happens is they gather for this Passover meal, and the tradition would be that when you get into the home, there would be a servant in the house that would come and wash everyone's feet. Well, why would you do that? We don't do that. When I, when I go to eat Sunday lunch today, I show up to the, re, the Mexican restaurant, I do not expect anybody to touch my feet. 
As a matter of fact, if they try to touch my feet, they might get a boot in the mouth. All right. Different culture, different traditions. You got to think, in this day, the tables didn't sit up like tables we have. They sat low to the floor. And so people are sitting down there, and then you got your nasty feet right there by the table. So it would be normal to have a servant come and wash everyone's feet as they entered into the home so that you're, you're, you're clean and you're ready for this meal. And so they all are entering the house. There's no servant to wash anybody's feet. And nobody's getting up and volunteering for it. They're, they're sitting there for a minute enjoying one another's company. But you know in the back of everybody's minds going, where's the, the foot washing guy? Who's going to be washing our feet? And none of the 12 disciples are volunteering going, oh, sign me up. I'll do it. And then it says that Jesus gets up. And here's where we're going to pick up. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me today. We're going to honor the word of God and read part of this passage aloud. Uh, I'm gonna, today, I'm going to be skipping around a little bit in this chapter, so I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along quietly just there in your own Bible, or you can read it there on the screen. This is John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the, this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. Verse 4. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, took off his outer robe. He wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. There's a lot more that happens there, but we're going to go ahead and skip down to verse 33. Jesus says, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I'm going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Remember, this is important. These are not wasted moments that Jesus has here. And he says, this is a new commandment I give you. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Heavenly Father, we ask you right now to minister to us in such a way that something begins to burn in our hearts. The things that are close and dear to your heart, Lord, that's what That's what the fires in our heart, heart God, it wants to burn for those things that your heart burns for. God, we're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. And in the meantime, we want to be busy. Not busy with just our own plans or busy just doing whatever the world has got going on with, but God, we want to be busy doing what you've called us to do. Busy being shaped into the image of Christ to serve like he served. Help us have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us today. In the name of Jesus, amen. In this example in John 13, Jesus talks to his disciples and he says that I love you. But it wasn't just like, I got all the goosebumps, guys. I got all the love goosebumps for you. 
he didn't just talk a big game about how much he loved them. You guys know people like that that can talk a real big game, but then you there's like they they got a big mouth. They talk a big game, but then they don't have the actions that that match their their words. Jesus didn't do that. He actually lowered himself in this moment to the the bottom rung. And he showed us how much that he loved us by serving us. Of course, he does that on the cross, but he does this also in such a way in this, in this moment here that gives us a different picture of what it looks like pragmatically in an everyday scenario. Jesus repeatedly, throughout the, throughout the Gospels, he repeatedly commands us to follow his example. Paul does the same thing. All throughout the epistles, Paul echoes the same command to the churches in his letters. And he says, Jesus is our example. He's our template. So what I want to do today is just talk to you guys just about, about a couple of truths about what it looks like to be shaped to serve in the image of Christ in his example. The first one is this. If you want to be shaped to serve, then you need to know that a servant puts service in front of status. A servant puts service over status. Or we could also say a servant puts loving over status. Because you can say that you love somebody. You can talk a big game. You can have all the feels. Ooh, that feels good. I love. But if you don't do anything, then is it really love? Love is demonstrated in actions. It's not just something that you feel. It's not just something that you talk about. It's something that you do. It's something that you show. So a servant puts love over status. A servant puts service over status. Jesus did this. He's sitting at the table. Everybody's sitting there wondering, who's going to wash the feet? And he gets up, and he's like, guys, we came in the house. We're getting ready for dinner, but we can't sit here and eat until somebody washes feet. I'm Jesus. I'm so above this. So one of you guys need to figure out who's going to wash feet. He wasn't above his status as Messiah, Savior of the world to lower himself, to demonstrate his love to the disciples in this moment. Putting service over status means that you serve without consideration of your position or of your title. Love leaves no room for that kind of mentality that says, well, I mean, somebody needs to do that, but not me. I don't do that. That's not my job. Or I can't even believe they just asked me to do that. Don't they know who I am? Don't they know what I'm capable of? No, 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 no. Jesus said, if you want to be the greatest, then lower yourself and become the servant of all. 
why is it so important to be on purpose and remind yourself of this truth? And, and to remind yourself of maintaining this attitude. Well, the reason is the reason you have to be on purpose about this and be intentional about this is because your flesh already has a really good proclivity of taking care of yourself. Your flesh's desire, its default mode, is selfishness. And so, if you're not intentional about being shaped to serve, then all you'll ever live is a selfish, narcissistic life. I want to show, this This is not up on the screen, I just was reading through Luke this morning and just some other passages that had nothing to do with the sermon. It's just like, man, I just want to get into Luke this morning. So I was doing that, and I came across, I, I was like, oh, wow, this is perfect for the message today. If you go in your Bibles, this is not on the screen, Luke chapter 17. And this is another example that Jesus gives us of a servant does not put service over status. Or, excuse me, a servant puts service over status. They don't put status over service. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 17, verse 7. He says, when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told? No, of course not. Man, these are feel-good passages this morning. Verse 10, in the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. That's Jesus dropping the mic right there. He's like, don't get caught up, James and John, in talking about well, who's going to sit at the right hand of, of Jesus when he takes his king, when he establishes his kingdom and on his throne. That's not for you to talk about. You're just a servant. Serve the Lord. We we have allowed these this mentality to creep into this church, not this church, to the Western church of, of basically like, well, I'm so special. God's gifted me. He's anointed me. Yes, the, all those things are true, but we've elevated those things above serving the king. And we think that when we serve and when we love, it has to be on our terms. And what is it going to do for me? And Jesus says, no, you've got it backwards. That's not how a servant behaves. That's not how a servant thinks. They're just glad to be serving the king because he's worthy. He's the worthy king. Do your duty. Serve Jesus. Well, I don't know. Sir. Okay. Bless your heart. The apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi about imitating the attitude of Jesus. And this is what he says here uh, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this being a prisoner of Rome. In verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. 
This is what, this is exactly what I'm talking about. We're like, well, yeah, I'll serve, but we don't do it with the attitude of serving others above ourselves. We do it with, if it's convenient, if this makes me look good, if this works out in my schedule, You guys, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit in humility, valuing others above yourselves, this is what, this is exactly what the church needs. This is what your home needs. This year, you wanna make your home an altar? Seeds Church, this is the, the word that the Lord gave us at the beginning of 2023, every home an altar. You wanna make your home an altar? then in your home, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. You wanna make this church an altar? This is what this church needs. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. This is what your business needs. This is what your school needs. This is what the entire world needs to see the church doing, being less concerned with me, myself, and I, and more interested in looking for ways to love one another and serve one another. And then Paul goes on and he says this, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. When people think of Seeds Church, I hope and pray that they think of people who are so motivated by the love of Jesus that we are actually demonstrating it by serving people. Jesus said first, and, and John says this, that we first, our first duty is to one another, those in the household of faith. So this is the training ground. If you can't learn to serve the person sitting next to you or in the row behind you or in front of you or across this room right now, you're missing out on practice. You're missing your training. You're missing the getting into the, into the gym and doing the weights. This is the first place where we learn how to do this, is serving those who are in the household of faith. And then it prepares us to serve the world like Jesus did. Follow Jesus's example. Follow Paul's example. Follow the example of others in your life that you can think of, that have gone before you, that have put serving over status. This is the first decision that we make in being shaped to serve. The second one is this, and this is we're gonna spend a little bit more time on this one today. The second truth about being shaped to serve is, is that a servant puts character over comfort. God is interested in the development of your character. He's interested in your growth as a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? Someone who just prayed a prayer and comes to church a dozen times a year? No. Someone who has a master, and they learn the ways of their master, and they follow the ways of their master. And the Lord is interested in you growing as a disciple of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's work of sanctification is all about transforming you into the likeness of Jesus. And God's desire for you is to grow up and to mature and to not be a baby. Just a couple days ago, we were listening, uh, Jamie and, and Jocelyn and I were in the car and we were listening to this, uh, this kind of podcast and 
the guy on there was talking about how you never hear this these days, but you, you would hear this, I mean, I heard it growing up. I'm sure a lot of you guys heard it growing up, but you don't hear this anymore these days. Hey, be a man. Be a man. We, we don't hear that these days, and we should. We're like, well, that's toxic masculinity. Bless your heart. No, be a man. And when you say be a man, it, it has a lot of connotations, and it has a lot of good connotations. It, it means, like, be responsible. Stop acting a fool. Learn how to provide. Learn how to protect. Make something of your life. And Paul is saying God is interested in you growing up and maturing, and you stop being a baby. Paul's saying be a man. Grow up. He said this, and Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 13. He said, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That's what you do. Be a man. Grow up. Mature. Stop being a baby. Every parent in here. We want our kids to grow and mature, do we not? You want your kids to act like a little baby all the time? I was hanging out with some people yesterday. I got to be careful what I say because this is going to be on a podcast that goes to anybody in the world that wants to listen to it. I was hanging out with some family yesterday, and their kids are brats. My, in my family. And it's not because it's the kids' fault. It's mom and dad's fault. Because they're not teaching their children to grow up. Every parent wants their kid to grow up and mature. Every parent in here is interested in their kid getting a good education, right? And they're interested in their personal development. Every parent in here is interested in their kids being contributing members to society, not being public enemy number one, right? Every parent in here is interested in those things. And the scriptures make it clear that God is interested in you and I growing up and maturing and being faithful disciples unto Jesus and being contributing members to the kingdom of heaven. Now, some people just want to justify their childishness and their sin, and say, well, God just wants me to be happy. What you're really saying is that God is okay with you just running around doing whatever it is that you feel like doing. Show me the scripture for that doctrine. Go ahead. Bless your heart. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, for the joy set before him, talking about Jesus, he endured the cross. Jesus is our example. He's the template. He's the mold. You think Jesus was like, oh, man, I can't wait to go to that cross. It's going to be good. No, but there was something deeper. There was something greater. There was some, Jesus was a man. He wasn't a baby. He said the joy it was set before him. He saw something at the end of this that it was like, I'm going to have to endure something. But there's something greater. 
There's something eternal that's going to happen, and I'm going to set aside my, my, own, my own personal feelings right now, the, the feelings of my flesh. I'm going to go after something eternal and something weighty. Jesus modeled for, for us what actual true joy and delight motivates us to do, to lay down our life to love and serve others. A servant puts character over comfort. I heard something similar to this once. You've probably heard it too. That God is more interested in your holiness than your happiness. Now, I'll say this. We do ourselves a disservice when we think that God's will for our life and our own personal happiness are always mutually exclusive things. We think that they're on opposite ends of some happiness spectrum. Because Satan has lied to the people of God and he has deceived lots of people into thinking that these two things are on the opposite ends of a spectrum and that we have to choose between the other. If I choose God's will, it means I'm just not gonna be happy. Or if I choose to be happy, I'll be happy, but I won't be in God's will. Those two things, holiness and happiness, are not always mutually exclusive. They're not. Now, are there times that you're going to have to crucify, crucify the flesh? Yes, of course. There are times where you're going to have to nail to the cross your carnal happiness in order to walk in holiness. But when you pursue Jesus and you pursue holiness, it's accompanied with spiritual joy. It's a joy that is a good feeling given to us by the Holy Spirit that helps us recognize through the word of God and through our obedience of who Jesus is and who we are in relation to him and how we're serving him. And there, when you're doing that, there can be a lot of difficult circumstances, but the enemy cannot rob you of this truth and this joy. These things are not always exclusive. Oftentimes, they are inclusive. And you, you'll find that when you are putting your, your, a servant, putting character over comfort and putting service over status, what you'll find is, is that you'll be the most fulfilled. I'm not saying it'll always feel good, but you will, have, you will be the most fulfilled. You know what I'm talking about? You will have the most peace when you're walking in obedience to the word of God, when you're following the Holy Spirit, when you're right in the middle of God's will for your life. Not when you're just running around doing whatever it is that you want, fulfilling every whim of the flesh. You might have some fleeting, temporary, shallow happiness, but you won't have anything substantial that lasts. And when I say this, when I say that you'll have peace, that doesn't mean that there will be the absence of problems. It doesn't mean that there'll be the absence of difficult circumstances. Jesus never promised an easy life. But Paul says that in the same letter that we're reading here in Philippians, being a prisoner of Rome, he says, you can find the strength to overcome anything when you follow the example of Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What do you think that means? means follow Jesus. So that tells me this right here. The pathway to true happiness is through holiness. 
true happiness. Like the kind that, that doesn't, isn't just fleeting. It's not just temporary. It's not shallow. The pathway to true happiness is through holiness. If you yield your life to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he'll sanctify your character. He'll mold you into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. And, and you know what? The truth is, your character being molded and you being shaped into the image of Christ, it's not always fun and games. But that's okay because we're not going to be a baby. We're going to be a man. And it's not always comfortable and it's not always convenient, but that's okay because I'm going to be a man. And it definitely, being molded into the image of Jesus, being shaped to serve, it doesn't fit the world's definition of happy. That's okay. I've used this example before. If you were to say to your kids, sweetheart, just, just tell daddy what would make you happy. Do this tomorrow morning with your children. Before school. Just tell me. Sweetheart, just tell me, just tell daddy what would make you happy. Well, Dad, we just want to sleep in and skip school and eat junk food and play video games. Okay, baby, if that's what you want, if that's what will make you happy, who's going to be doing that tomorrow? You better not. <laughs> you better not. Santa's not going to come to your house. You'll have Belschnickel. You, you, you say to your kids, you say to your kids, get your rear out of bed. Make your bed. Get ready for school on time. Go to school. Do not punch anybody or steal their crayons. They're a little bit older. You do the best that you can on your tests. You study. You listen to the teacher. You do your homework. Why? Because you don't want your kids to be happy? No, that's not why you tell them that. It's because you're trying to set them up and help them have a good future and a good success. Something that's far more important than just letting them sleep in and wake up whenever they want to and eat junk food and play video games. That's what babies do. You want your children to learn how to forego immediate, fleeting, temporary kind of happiness now so that they can experience a meaningful, longer-lasting, fulfilled kind of happiness later. You care about their character, right? And God cares about your character. Luke chapter 10. This is where we'll, we'll land the plane here. Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells a story, a parable, about the Good Samaritan. This, this Good Samaritan guy, is, he's, he's a guy, he, he didn't stop to help because it was the fun and convenient thing to do. He did it because it was the right thing to do. So what's the story? Many of us, we know it, but in short, there's a guy who's traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, a Jewish man. And he gets attacked along the road. 
by a gang of robbers. And they beat him to a bloody pulp and they rob him and they take his clothes even. He must have been like wearing the new Jordans or something, I don't know. They rob him, they take his clothes, they leave him naked and they leave him there for dead. Oh, he can just die on the road. He's not dead yet, but we'll just, he'll eventually die. Then a priest comes along that same road, a Jewish priest. And when he sees this guy has been beaten up, robbed, and left for dead, he crosses to the other side of the road. He chooses status over service. A priest. Then here comes another guy coming down the road, a Levite, another, like, religious guy. And he comes down the road, and he sees this guy beat up, robbed, naked, left half for dead. What does he do? Same thing. That's not my problem. I'm crossing the other side of the road. Then here comes this Samaritan guy. And here's what you need to know about Samaritans, is that Samaritans and Jews did not get along. That's to put it mildly. The Jews actually hated the Samaritans, because they looked at them as like, like religious half-breeds. And the Samaritans didn't really care much for the way that the Jews looked at them and treated them. They, you know, had contempt back for the Jews. And so the Samaritan guy comes and he sees this Jewish guy, robbed, naked, left for dead in the middle of the road, and he has compassion upon him. And instead of crossing to the other side of the road, he comes to the man and he gets his first aid kit out and he begins to minister to the guy and antiseptic and bandages and we're gonna get you cleaned up. And then he takes the guy and he lifts him up and he places him on his donkey, which means he doesn't get to ride now. But I'm gonna put this enemy of mine I'm gonna put him on my transportation and I'm gonna walk. And then they walk to a place, they walk to a village and to a place where he can get this Jewish guy the proper treatment and rest that he needs to heal. And he pays all the, he pays all the medical bills. And he says, if more bills incur, I'm good for it. I'll take care of it. I'll pay all the guy's bills. That's incredible. And this is what Jesus says down here in verse 37. He says, now go and do the same. Ah, It's not fun. It's not convenient. Doesn't matter. Go and do the same. The, The modern translations of this story say, now go and talk to Kirby and Amanda about being on the Seeds Kids team. Go and talk to Luke about being on the security team. Go and talk to Jamie and Jesse about being on the worship team, wherever. It's like, get up and do something. Talk to Pastor Bob about being on the facilities team. I just want to give honor to somebody right now 
William Vaughn, brother, you, nobody knows this, but I'm gonna tell on you right now. Yeah, you come in here week after week after week and clean this place and get it ready, like a Levite serving the temple of the Lord. Thank you. You never say anything to anybody about it. You don't post about it on social media. You don't brag to anybody about it, but God sees you. And you know what? Maybe the Lord's calling you to join that team. Because the servant puts service over status. They put character over comfort. That's you, brother. You put service over status. You put character over comfort. I honor you. The priest and the Levite, they asked the wrong question. They, they asked, if I stop and help this man, what will it do for me? The Jesus question would have been, this is what the Samaritan would have said, if I don't stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Put yourself in the place of someone who's hurting, someone who's in need, someone that you could be the example of Jesus to and minister to by the grace of God. Jesus put character over comfort. Jesus put service over status. I'm gonna follow his example, amen? Come and follow with me. Would you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just we come before you today with hearts full of gratitude for the example and the love and the service that your son Jesus Christ set for us. And we say that we want to be shaped to serve purposely in the image of Christ. Just as Jesus took the position as the lowest servant in the house and washed the feet of his disciples and he demonstrated that, that a true servant puts service over status and loves selflessly. We want to follow your example, Jesus. Help us to fulfill this new commandment that you've given to us as your disciples, to love one another as the way that you have loved us so that the world would see this and know that we belong to you. God, that even in our serving and our loving one another, that it would be a evangelism strategy that would bring people into the kingdom of God. Help us put service over status. God, may we never serve just with consideration of position or title. God, we want to follow your example, Jesus, of humility and selflessness. Help us to put character over comfort, Lord. Lord, we surrender to you. We surrender our desire to you because we want to grow and mature and we want to be a man and not a baby. We want to be disciples of Jesus, so help us prioritize in our life the Holy Spirit's work of sanctification over any immediate and fleeting happiness and know that true joy comes from serving and obeying you, Lord God. Jesus, teach us to put compassion over convenience. 
even when we face differences with people. Just like the Good Samaritan did. Just as Jesus did when he showed his great love for us by dying on the cross while we were still sinners. We did nothing to deserve it. And we endeavor to be shaped to serve. So may our lives be a living testament to your love and to your grace. And may you use our serving to connect others to you, Jesus. And it's in the glorious name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said amen. 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 Next Sunday is Dream Team Rally Sunday. We're going to hear a little bit more about being shaped to serve. You're going to hear from our ministry leaders here that lead different areas of service here in the church. It's going to be an opportunity for you to be a man. Sign up and say, I want to be part of serving in the house of God. I want to be shaped to serve. Also, next Sunday is the beginning of Dream Team, or excuse me, excuse me, is the beginning of DNA, two-part class after the service is over. We're going to feed you lunch. We'll take care of child care if you've not been through it. Uh, we would encourage you to do that. If you've only done half of it, this is an opportunity to finish up the other half. You can sign up today on our website. And we just want to pray over you. I'm going to pray, but then after we pray, you're going to be dismissed, and the prayer team is going to come down forward right here in the front of the room. And if there's any need that you have for prayer in your life at all today, I want to encourage you. Come and receive prayer. Come and find one of my friends in the prayer team and agree with them according to God's word in faith that we pray to a God who hears and delights in our prayers and he answers our prayers, and that when we pray that we are moving closer to the heart of God. Whether you need healing in your body, whether you need a miracle in a relationship that's broken, whether you need a financial breakthrough, whether you need an answer to a question that you have, you need a direction for your life, we believe that God is alive and he still answers prayers today. So as we get ready to dismiss in just a moment, you come forward as everyone else is leaving pray with one of my friends in the prayer team. If you need to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved today, come down front. We want to pray with you and then ex- and welcome you into the kingdom of God. Now, Lord, I just pray over this church. Pray over my church family, Lord God, and I pray your blessings on them. And I pray, Lord God, that each of us would endeavor to be shaped to serve you, Jesus. Serve you in your kingdom. And we would not let the fires of your second coming grow cold in our heart, but we would continue to blow on the embers and feed the fire and fuel the fire, and that we would always be ready at a moment's notice for your returning, and we would welcome you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But until you do, we are going to continue to pray and establish your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that over all of these people in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go in peace and empower to love and serve the Lord. If you need prayer today, come come forward. Thanks for listening. Stay connected.
connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.